What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Like that kind of 
22 and he's kind of like, you know, uh, uh, the big fundamental. You know, you just know, you just chalk it up when you see it, and he's he's the guy who's going to give it to you every night at that high level, and that's Phil T., you know, our resident Ph.D. candidate. What's up, Phil? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Happy New Year to you fellas and to yeah. all the listeners. Um, I'm here in a triple threat position, like you said, like a young Tim Duncan. You're using the glass. Are you using the glass? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The glass is in play tonight. <laughs> if, any, if, if the pre-show conversation is like, I think you're you ready to, to hit him with some craziness. But he, the thing about it is we don't have the game changer with us tonight, but we got one of our residents. You know, he's an all-time – you know when he comes in, he's like a, he like a Bernie Mac of, of, of sports radio. Something going to happen. He's going to say something funny. We might have to put our mics on mute. We got that man Hank. You know, we got that man Hank in the building inside the park. He's, but you know, he's talking about everything. What's up, Hank? Hey, hey, hey! How y'all doing? How y'all doing? Glad to be back with you all. Happy New Year! You know, I'm doing well. You know, I'm still living that six-week holiday called the Hardball Experience here in good old Ann Arbor town. So you know, everybody <laughs> around here, as the, as the old country folks say, we about as happy as a as a fly on a turd around here about what's going <laughs> on with the maize and blue. So you know, I had to get that shout out to get the uh, to show that flavor. <laughs> and we and we go we have a chance to do that a little bit because we're gonna hit some of the college football stuff and reflect a little bit on uh, how the playoff system worked and and what we might see going into the future. So we we might have a chance to revisit. Uh, your Harbaugh uh, comments at that point. You know, we we all have a, a connection to the great state of Michigan, and so you know we will we can always hit on that. But you know, the Buckeyes are owning the country right now, and uh, so we got to deal with it. Uh, but at least the Big Ten got it, and the SEC doesn't. No hate to y'all. I know we got some listeners out there. We got some love out there, but you know, for at least this year, it's changing. I, I don't I don't think it's a trend yet. So we'll get into that uh, a little bit uh, more later on. We got a full show um, to 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 hit on to uh, today, and uh, I'm excited because we're coming up on Super Bowl week, and there are so many stories. There's so much happening with the NFL here at you know kind of the end of the season and coming into the Super Bowl season. There's some stories that have happened, and you know we, that we haven't had a chance to engage. But ultimately, it's about you know Super Bowl week, and we'll probably spend most of our time uh, when we talk about the NFL with that. Um, you know, we always got to give you that dog of the week. I know we've got some special dogs this week. The NBA talk, the season is getting in that full swing, and, and you really start to pay attention to the NBA. Almost after Super Bowl's over, the NBA almost kind of takes, you know, Christmas Day kind of gets you going, but it's almost after the uh, after NFL season is over, the NBA starts to take that center, and stuff is starting to heat up, and we really want to start to get into some NBA talk and and really start to talk about some special things that are happening, some of the possible MVP candidates, some of the other stuff that's happened on it. So we'll touch on some of those things um, throughout uh, our conversation. We'll definitely get back into the college football um, playoffs. By all, most people who are looking at it, experts, any money fans, it was a, a successful run with the first time during the playoff season. But, you know, give us a chance to reflect on that and kind of think about it. You know, we got Hank in the building. We want to check in on what is going on with A-Rod. You know, so we're going to give Hank, 
the Hagar to just yo give us some, this is winter stuff going on, but the A Rod stuff is 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 really is is killing me. And we want to get a little feedback on that, and then other things might pop up in it. But we're gonna we, we're looking to have a, a a great show and and looking to really get into it. And this is a podcast that you can download. So if you have iTunes, you can catch us on it. Um, this is like a, each each time we drop this is like a you know like a a, a new segment in the album. You know, we're in a 2005 or 2015 album we're trying to put together, and we, we, we want to make sure that we, we drop that album uh, uh, the right way. So each time we do this podcast, it's just one more element. And if Hank's here this week, this is a song you've got to listen to. Because <laughs> he's going to say something <laughs> that you have not thought about. And you, and you better not be eating when he says it, because you might lose all your food. But, we, you know, we're going to start it with something that is uh, familiar um, that we won't get into in terms of our segment. But everything is brought to you by our good uh, folks over there at XL Academics, uh, our folks with Resistance Digital Solutions who have been supporting us uh, on the rocks, uh, who has been, uh, who's been there. Uh, Frederick's Accounting um, has been very supportive. All of our hosts and guests that appear uh, come on the Frederick's Accounting hotline. And so we, we are here, not here without support with you and uh, with the good folks over there. But we're going to get into, you know, our uh, funky editorial. Fellas, one thing we need to say. Shall we say it, y'all? Melvin, right. Jimmy, Coleman, Ryan, sit. Everybody want to get funky one more time. And I'm, I'm working to order a little bit more here uh, uh, on our editorial before we get into some of the NFL stuff. So there was a debate um, uh, that we had uh, <laughs> on a text message. So we don't get on Twitter and battle, probably because Phil doesn't have Twitter, so we can't battle on Twitter. Um, he's trying to work his stuff with Jamie, but he tried, he tried, he tried to get his dissertation and all his other stuff done. So. We're not trying to get him into any other social media type thing. So we have a lot of these battles on uh, in text message space. And if we could ever write a book on those things, I think it would be a classic. I think that would be a great book. But it, it's, it, it's, it's Marcus, Phil, myself going back and forth. And, uh, and I got a little change in order here, but this is a great conversation I want to kind of get going before we get into the NFL talk and kind of combine this NBA talk a little bit. So Draymond Green is an interesting person. And so, you know, he's getting a lot of hype. You know, we're talking about the Golden State Warriors and all the success, but there's been this talk about Draymond Green, and I've always been a Draymond Green fan. And to game changers defense, because he's not here, <laughs> uh, to argue it, but this is an interesting ball player. So game changer position was that he didn't think that this was a guy that was kind of all-star caliber. He, he saw him as a guy that was a solid player, contributing but can never be at superstar level. And I said I felt like he is the kind of person that could evolve as all-star. And part of it was the argument was around the fact that the way in which he impacts the game. And I said, you know, I wasn't looking at him as someone who was going to be averaging 25, you know, points a game. But I described him in a way, I think the, the way I described him was in similar to a, a career like a Sidney Moncrief, you know, someone who is, you know, uh, five or six-time All-Star, um, you know, on the um, All-NBA team, uh, first team maybe three to four times, 
Um, maybe a candidate for a defensive player of the year, but this kind of guy that he could be in your big three. And that was our discussion about being a big three of a team. And so we went back and forth, and and so we had a lot of debate about it. But, you know, I guess I want to throw it out to you, gentlemen, because Draymond is an interesting guy. I mean, and one of the arguments is, that I saw is that he's not a guy who can create his own shot, but I'm seeing him create his own shot. How do y'all feel about him? You know, because when you hear analysts, they 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 love him, and they don't talk about him as just this kind of high energy guy. They talk about him as an upcoming guy. This is a guy who was Player of the Year in the Big Ten. This is a guy who comes with a he comes with a competitive spirit that's more than just the energy guy. How do y'all feel about this this kind of concept? How do y'all feel about Draymond? And is he the kind of person that can be a star? Phil, I'll 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 throw it to you. As someone who's from Michigan, watched the Michigan State program, how do you see him in that debate? Well, I'm a big fan of Draymond Green. I think his game has developed um, very nicely. This is his his second year in the NBA, correct? Yes. Or is it his third year? Uh, No, Um, I would say third, third, third. And, you know, I think what some people are falling into is seeing him play on certain nights and seeing him um, do very well. I mean, there was a four or five game stretch where he was a point or rebound or I think as many as two assists away from a triple-double in five straight games. Uh, He only got one or two triple-doubles in that stretch, but he was very close. but I take a step back, and I see this guy as the ideal third option on a good team. Uh, if you put him and you ask him to be a first or second option on another team, that team is not going to be very good. I think right now he's playing in Golden State with a lot of talented offensive players. Uh, I think he's playing with two of the top 15 offensive players in the league right now when you look at Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Um, but if you ask him to do more than be a third option, that's a problem. But you can have a very good career, and one could argue a Hall of Fame career being a third option. I look at him like a young Dennis Rodman, um, where he can do a little bit of everything. Uh, Clearly, he's got more polish to his game than Rodman ever had, but I just kind of see him as a glue guy. But if you look at some of the best third options in NBA history, um, you know, think about Jeff Hornacek when he played with Stockton and Malone. Uh, think about Horace Grant during those first yeah. three NBA championships when he was behind uh, Jordan and Pippen. Uh, Grant was a was a very integral part of that team. I would say behind Michael Jordan, there probably was nobody more important um, than Horace Grant. Are you Pippen? I'd say both of them were equally as important. Um, so... So I'm not getting too enamored with how Draymond Green is playing. I think his game is developing nicely. I think he's an excellent NBA player. I think his ceiling um, is, you know, to be a, an all-star at some point um, because he's kind of like a Swiss Army knife. He can do a lot of things very well. But I think that um, being the third option with with such talented offensive players, um, it does give him the opportunity when defense just – I mean, you only have so many resources on defense. And Clay Thompson and Steph Curry are going to be on the top of that list. So at some point you have to guard somebody straight up. 
You have to. I think that Draymond Green, like a lot of good NBA players, are taking advantage of that. I, I think it's a great thing. And part of it, in those, in those individuals you described were multi-year all-star, right? They, they may not may be, end up being, you know, a Hall of Fame caliber, but they might be right down that rung, but they were perennial all-stars. And what's interesting about him is I think his game is actually going to look better in the playoffs than those other two you described. And part of it is, and it's part of what Barkley said, when you get in the playoffs, there, there are, there are the, the level of defense you face is that a caliber that jump shooters struggle? Now, what I can say about both of those two uh, 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 players you talked about is they both are developing putting the ball on the floor. But but they have more difficult times you watch them when they start to play against more uh, elite defensive teams. I actually think that's when his game is going to show the most. If they're going to win championships kind of game, that's where he's going to elevate. Where it gets I real what, crazy and, huh, and possessions. Huh? I think, so to me, the best third option ever, the best mm. third option ever, in my opinion, um, and, you know, I I can really only go back to the early 80s. Okay, so I would say since then, you know, because I've heard Bob Cousy be talked about as one of the best third options ever. Um, I just didn't see him play. Uh, I would say James Worthy, although mid to late 80 um, Laker teams where he was the third option behind Kareem and behind Magic. Um, I, I, you know, and then later as Kareem got older, Kareem uh, Worthy became the top option in the offense. But when you look at a young James Worthy in the 84, 85, um, I see Draymond Green being dynamic like that. Now, yeah. I, I'm not quite sure if we can project Green's game to what James Worthy blossomed into, into a yeah. Hall of Fame player, a, a clear Hall of Fame player. I yes. I just don't see uh, – I mean, James was a very dynamic player, um, but I just don't see Draymond Green developing into that. And my projection wasn't in the I, – I, Worthy was someone I was uh, uh, thinking about, but my projection wasn't into the – at the end of his career it would be – because Worthy starts going into that other stratosphere, but it would be a notch below. I thought the Hornacek – I think that was a great one because he was, a, he was an all-star, but he, he didn't end his career as a, uh, as a Hall of Famer. Let's bring Hank in. I know, Hank, you've watched stuff across years – Hey, how do you, yeah. how, do you how, how do you view this young man? Well, listen, right now, when you look at him right now, his numbers don't jump out at you, and obviously because of Curry, like Thompson, you know. So, and with the you know Warriors being such a young team, you know, for the casual NBA fan, you know, you got to find Draymond Green. So, just to your initial point, you know, will he be a superstar like talent? You know, the jury is still out on that. And I think that his game still needs to develop somewhere where he's got a little bit more dominance. I think that, you know, you got to kind of pump the brakes a little bit when you start talking about the James Worthy, even though I know we're saying that he was one of the best third options you've seen, you know. But, you know, like even even the Kevin McHales of the world, you know, raised a whole lot of hell for those teams and made them championship teams. Um, when you look at his game, and, you know, and like I said, his numbers don't jump out at you. 
you know, uh, still a young, nice player, and I remember him at State, you know. Um, but even at State, you know, uh, Draymond Green had his moments, you know, and, and I think right now when you look at him, you know, it, there's so much attention drawn to the guards that for him to really escalate to what you would call even, you know, semi-superstar status, you know, he's got to be able to I, – I think he's got to be able to – we've got to see his game develop a little bit more. you got to see him do a little bit more. You know, even when you look at the big three that we saw with, with, with Boston or what you saw with Miami, you know, you could say that Chris Bosh – you know, or um, uh, you know, the, the players and in, in, uh, or Allen, you know, could could dominate on their own, you know, before they got with these other players. The question you have to ask yourself is: Do you think that Draymond Green can do that? Have we seen him do that on a consistent basis? I think the jury is still out on him. You know, um, I know he's a nice player. I know he's a local player, but again, you know, the way that team is set up. You know, how long is it going to take for us to really see what his dominance is? So, you know, and and this is always a tough um, kind of uh, thing to um, uh, get at when you're trying to project. And um, and for the reason why I think it's got we got into this, and, uh, we'll probably get into more when uh, Marcus comes back in, was that. We get so caught up with analytics that we don't take into account why we talk about the dog meter. If you listen to him in interviews, if you see the way he he walks like he's a star, his swag, his energy, the way in which he gets he don't walk like an energy guy. He walks like I'm supposed to be there. Yeah, I can walk like I'm rich, but I'm not going. But I still got to go to work in the morning. But but I understand the point that. is you know is he going to be able to to develop there, you know his game he he's at a spot right now where they are so you know uh, guard heavy in regards to their offense, you know they splashing everywhere. If those guys don't hit, then that then he then his game has got to come where come come in there. And from what I've seen of the Warriors, you know, you know I, I'm looking at the other players on the team is like they, they they may want to go somewhere else. As, as a third option right now, all right? And I and, and I, I hear you. Yeah, he, he got dog in him and stuff, but his game has got to develop. You got to hear from Draymond Green, you know, and, and let's face it, you know, is is he a name out there that, that you're hearing from unless you're watching the NBA every day? But, see, his, his game is not sexy for the regular season in that way, right? So this is the full zone. This is why I call, I call it the supersonics effect. Under under uh, 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 Peyton, uh, uh, Gary Payton, like when they won sixty games and they were running up and down, and so you get excited about it. But the way they play is not the way they're going to win in the playoffs. Like this style is not going to be. Sanitary. No, it's not. Mm-mm. So so that is when that's when he his value is going to be realized. So you know on a Thursday night against uh, Sacramento. Uh, He's going to do his triple-double. People are going to be like, yeah, he's kind of nice. But it's when they're going to realize it is in a, a grind-out seven-game series where you need that dog and, 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 and Curry struggling because now he got Westbrook on him. Um, and, you know, uh, they're not hitting jumpers the way they were in some of their series, the way they got bumped out. And they need to really grind it out to win. 
and they got to get those tough buckets. I think that is where that what I'm talking about that swagger is going to come through. So he's not going to look nice when he's 82 games because what makes them so great is that they're a great team that you need to prepare for, and you just get overwhelmed. In the, how many times have they so far hit everybody in the, in the first quarter? I watched like I watched like a week worth of, worth of uh, 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 Gold State games, and they out in front, like they 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 give you the knockout blow. It's almost like playing Tyson. They give you the knockout yeah. blow, you know, early on, and it's hard for them to recover. But those are the kind of things that happen in the playoffs, and I think that's where he's going to his value and the level that he's been playing with. That you know, people with basketball eyes have been watching all year. It's going to really elevate because it's needed in the playoffs. He's an interesting story. I mean, there's a lot of debates around him. He's uh, he's one of those cats that I think y'all make a really good point. And I'm not. And my argument is not that this cat he's going to be. I think I, I, I agree with the worthy piece, but I agree that he end of his career is not going to. It'll be more in the Moncrief. Look at Moncrief numbers, or mm-hmm. more in like the Hornets sack. It'll be more in that space. That was the projection I was making. Where it would be, you, he it had would a star career. It would be interesting with him if you know somewhere in his career, you know he he's moved and I in the way the NBA works right now, could he be moved somewhere? And so you can really see his game. Right now, you're relying upon him really, or you, you're relying upon the, the Warriors really modifying their game a great deal for the playoffs. Okay, well then they better start trying to play a little bit more post game when they get to the playoffs, because right now all you're seeing is, is the Splash Brothers just going down and raining threes on everybody. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we're going to, you know, one of the things I want to do so we can spend a, a lot of our show talking about the Super Bowl, we're going to spend a little bit more time hitting uh, some of this NBA talk because we're going to then uh, clear it out after a while and really get into this Super Bowl talk down the stretch. And so the fellows are letting me uh, – uh, change the agenda around a little bit. They might be killing me right now as they, you know, they've been doing their homework, getting ready. But I like to get this NBA stuff out the way and hit some of the stuff that we have on the agenda so then we can we can get into this NFL talk and I can really start getting in and, and trying to figure out which one of these cats would lose money with some of the stuff they're saying. Um, so we're going to hit a little bit. <laughs> we're going to hit a little bit some more, some NBA talk with our uh, – uh, five on the black hand side. Five, uh, five, uh, uh, on the black hand side. I love that drop, man. <laughs> I love that drop. There are some drops that are just are really good. One thing, you know, we're in the middle of the the season, and this is a good time to kind of reflect. You know, there was a lot of movement in the NBA, and a lot of things people were projecting with some of these off-season moves, just a lot of stuff happened. And I kind of want to, like, look back now that we're kind of mid-season and get a sense of how um, some of these things have worked out uh, based on uh, where we are right now. And so let's start with the – we just had – we talked a little bit about it. You know, we see Kyrie. Kyrie went from 55 on him. He went double nickel on him. It wasn't even in the guard. He went double nickel on him. So – but Cleveland – Move Wiggins and a few other pieces for love, and then you had LeBron go to Cleveland. When you think about the moving of young pieces to Minnesota, you think about moving, trying to move some veterans into Cleveland, uh, LeBron coming to Cleveland, 
at this point, how are you seeing that move work out for Cleveland, and how is it working out for Minnesota? How how are you evaluating that move, Phil? You you in Cleveland? You get to hear a lot of that stuff. How do you how do you hear that? How, what do you think about that? I'll start with you. Uh, so so historically, Cleveland fans are very fickle and um, foolishly <laughs> fickle and just just horrifically fickle. <laughs> and a big frustration of mine has been that, you know, fans, fans can be fickle. That's what we do. But when leadership, when management uh, of these organizations do this as well, to me it's, it's, you know, I don't get it. So, for for example, the Cleveland Browns have changed GMs. They have changed coaches, you know, on average every other year um, since they've come back to Cleveland 15 years ago, on average. You know, there's been a few guys that lasted three years, but on average every other year they're making a, some kind of big change, either coach, uh, management, or both. And so – I think, you know, Cleveland was excited when LeBron came back, and for good reason. And during the first 45 days of the season, they had a, you know, an eight-game win streak, and everybody was in love with the Cavs. Then all of a sudden, they fell on hard times. LeBron got hurt, and they went one and eight. And people are going up, just just very upset with what's going on. And, you know, and I'm sitting in the barbershop just like, whatever. Who cares? You know, LeBron's going to come back, and if they show me something where they can win, where they can win, you know, 10 out of 12 games or 15 out of 20, guess what? They're going to be contending for a championship this year. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. They just won either their seventh or eighth game tonight um, against Portland, and LeBron wasn't even playing tonight. Um, You know, Kevin Love is a big question, um, but – I think LeBron to Cleveland is one of the biggest moves that we've ever seen in the NBA in terms of seeing a franchise go from having one of the worst records in the league to being an instant competitor. Um, The Love to Wiggins move, it's still early, and Kevin Love is trying to find his way in Cleveland, but I still like that. I still like uh, what, what Minnesota got in regards of, you know, one of the top players in the draft, um, and the potential that he has, he's been playing solid this year. You know, if you look at his numbers and if you look at Scottie Pippen's numbers in Scottie's first year, they're almost identical. And and the game changer, who I trust very much in terms of projected talent, always said, Wiggins, his upside is Scottie Pippen. And I think that's a dang good upside to have. Uh, Kevin Love coming to Minnesota or coming to Cleveland was great for Minnesota because – he had no intentions of re-signing with them. So they were either going to get some kind of trade line, you know, a dime, you know, dime on a dollar type of deal, um, or they could get something to build their future on, which is what they did. Cleveland's trying to win right now, and I think Kevin Love going into the season was one of the best pieces to go with LeBron James. They're still trying to figure out, but um, I I think it's going to work. I think if these three stay together and they continue to build around them, I mean, this Timothy Mozgov uh, pickup was huge, in my opinion, man. That was Especially great move. Great move. after after Bearjaw going out, um, you know, 
I think right now um, LeBron has more talent around him right now than he had last year in Miami. Now, they don't have the cohesiveness, which is which is big, uh, but he has more talent around him. And looking out two or three years from now, assuming that Love resigns, I still think it's a great move for LeBron to come to Cleveland. So I like both sides of the pool still. Before I go to Hank, what's the what's the narrative on the coach now that this run is happening locally? Man, people are up and down. <laughs> I will say LeBron didn't help him out. He didn't help him out a week or two ago when this ain't threw him you know, <laughs> you know, when Blatt is, is trying to argue, trying to get a technical file, like I felt like he was whispering to the referee, hey, just, just tee me up, okay? Tee me up. Please tee me up. And all of a sudden, he just feels his body being picked up and moved five or ten feet away, and LeBron is pushing him out the way. Uh, LeBron, you're not helping him. And Mark Jackson said it well when he was doing a game a couple of nights later. He said, listen, uh, at some point, if I'm the coach – you know, if I'm David Black, I'm taking LeBron in the office to let him know, listen, you're the best player in the world, you play. I'm the coach, and sometimes I'm going to be doing things to get our team going, and that may mean a technical foul, and you need to be okay with that. And you need to let me do that. If somebody's going to hold me back, it's going to be my assistant coaches. So, you know, essentially you need to sit back. So I look back at how Eric Spolster was. He was an unknown coach. People can play this Pat Riley card and this, this, and that. You know, Riley was instrumental in his development. I'm sure there's some truth to that. But I believe that they're in a similar boat. They're inexperienced in terms of coaching in the NBA, at least Spolster was. But Blatt's, you know, this is a guy that has a ton of coaching experience overseas. So um, I believe that Blatt has a lot of potential as a coach. And any coach that has LeBron James, is going to make them a much better coach. So it, it just takes a level of patience. The media is going to do what they're going to do. They're going to try to make stories. They're going to try to make more stuff out of what's happening there. I just don't buy into it. Now, the folks in Cleveland, it's like as the world turns, every other day people are, oh, we need to get a new coach. We need to get Mark Jackson. We need to get Mike Brown. What, Mike Brown? You guys wanted to kick Mike Brown out last year. So I it, – Marcus it's just fickle, man. It's just fickle, yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, you're on the sideline. Oh, I can already hear it. I can hear you yelling across the water. Thank you. Huh? Listen, listen. Okay, I'm going I'm, I'm gonna to stay. I'm going to listen. I'm going to be like Marshawn Lynch. I'm going to – I'm only here so I don't get fined. So, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 listen, as far as Cleveland is concerned, Anytime LeBron, uh, that 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 was a class move to go back to Cleveland. Okay, Cleveland is going to flourish with that. But you see the same things you saw when he first went to Miami. When they first went to Miami, the first year when they when they brought him and Bosch and that whole team, just like just like Phil said, that team's got to take. It's going to take half the season for them to figure this out. Okay, they pretty much flipped their entire roster. Anybody who's watching NBA seen that it was going to take a minute for them to get together. But I think that, the, as, the, as, as Phil also alluded to, if you see that and you're a fan, you're looking for instant gratification, okay? 
and the rigors of an NBA season, you're going to have up and downs. You're going to have injuries. And by the way, I've seen more injuries of superstars this year than I've seen ever. You know, but I'll get back to that in a minute. But um, as far as the trade is concerned, it benefited greatly the Cleveland Cavaliers and their ability to, to get to the playoffs and make a deep run. As far as when Minnesota's concerned, the jury's still out. That team is terrible, okay? They're young, and they've got to find a direction. But, you know, um, you're expecting, and I think the, the, the fans of Cleveland is expecting uh, the 2012-2013 uh, Miami Heat right now, okay? And, 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 again, you don't win an NBA championship, you know, 40 games into the season. And I think that, you know, just given that, and given the way the NBA looks this year, and I was going to tell you, Phil, NBA stands for Nasty Basketball Association. I've seen some of the worst <laughs> basketball I've ever seen in my life. You know, I've seen a couple of drunks kicking the doggone uh, a can down the street to look better than some of these teams this year. I don't know what y'all need to do, but y'all need to do something because I'd rather watch uh, Snooky and Jay Wild. They're not even on TV no more, okay, than watch some of these basketball games. But that's enough of that for me. But. I'm just telling. You. I mean, I mean, I've seen some unwatchable basketball, and I looked at the standings and just seeing who don't won what. Of course, we don't have an NBA team in in the state of Michigan anymore. But I digress. You know that 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 again. And when we get to the second half of the season, you're going to see the cream rise to the top because everything else is just sewage. So you so Cleveland's going to be fine. And and as and as uh, Aaron Rodgers said to the Cleveland fans, R E L A X, just relax. <laughs> Woo! We, we come back and we definitely gotta get you back on this one at some point, Hank. Now, <laughs> this next one, this next one, we might need to take a breath on. So, the genius, the 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 the, the Gandhi of basketball goes to New York and running the Knicks. Hank, I'm gonna go to you. Because Phil might have to clean up whatever you know. <laughs> or, yeah, you know, you, yeah, you do. Again, like I said, I'm just here so I don't get fined. But I'm going to tell you all right now, okay, yeah, this one, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopping all over this one, okay? Here he is, like I said, uh, the Zen master, okay? He got more names than, than the uh, encyclopedia got words. The dictionary got words of what he is, the professor, all these different things. And I've said it once, I've said it a gazillion times. He won championships because he had Michael. He won championships because he had Kobe and because he had Shaq, okay? But guess who he don't have? He don't have any of those. And the superstar, dare I say superstar, that decided to stay in New York is who else but Melo. Melo Carmelo Anthony, and this has got to be one of the worst things we've seen in New York City, okay, than, than the village people. I'm here to tell you right now, it's terrible. <laughs> and and, and, and they, they, they look bad, and, and Phil Jackson is out of his, is out of his league. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, you would think, you know, that the allure of him being in New York would be able to draw something, okay? But I don't see that team – Again, it, it, it goes back to what's wrong with the NBA right now, okay? You've got, you've got your marquee teams looking like hell, okay? Your Boston's, your New York's, your, your Los Angeles, they look bad. And his field, and, and he, he's not a front office guy. He's not a front office guy, 
All right, now he's got to he he has walked into talent. Now he has to evaluate talent, and now he wow. has to put me. Huh? What? What am <laughs> I saying wrong? Okay, the proof is in the pudding. What 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 what's the record? Okay, he the the one player that should have left stayed, and that's Melo. Go ahead, chime in. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I don't disagree, actually. <laughs> Listen, this is one of those times where, you know, you you got to know when to stay in your lane, all right? Now, if he was out in Montana out there and, and, and hunting moose and he was happy doing that, then that's what he should have stayed and doing that, yeah. If he was paying any attention, if he was going to coach anybody else, not name LeBron James, then he should have really reevaluated that. Because that's the only place he could have gone and actually kept his legacy. Okay, this looks real bad for Phil Jackson. I'm just on the sidelines for this one. Phil, take and said all. What do you have to add to this one? I pass. <laughs> <laughs> that's what everybody in New York is doing. All the Knicks fans, I pass. Um, <laughs> I will look at it on this real quick. This, see, Hubie Brown, you know, we used to talk about Hubie. You know, Hubie had this great way of talking about, because, you know, everybody, and this is part of the challenge even when we talked about the Draymond, but, you know, fans and a lot of folks project things based on limited evidence. And so this is where Phil is great, you know, he's a statistician. He can help me with all this stuff, regression analysis, whatever we want to look at. But so they, they people believe because – you're good at one thing. So, like, you're a forward who, in 15 minutes of uh, on the court, you're averaging uh, 15 points and seven rebounds. You're like, well, what if we? What if he played 25 minutes? They just automatically think that it's going to double. And some of the stuff is the same way in which people envision Phil. The kind of leadership it took for him to manage a all-star. Because what he's good at is doing exactly what you said, Hank. His art was managing personalities of all-stars. That's right. how he won championships. That's, But that's not how you run an organization. Like, right. There's some of that management in it, but the way in which he coached the team, some of that stuff is transferable, but it doesn't speak to the kinds of things you have to do capacity building with folks. The number one thing is you're not coaching. So you didn't set Derek Fisher up or Derek. I mean, Derek is up in there. They call up for his name in New York. You know, Derek, he got the check, but Derek's not just a check guy. And I just feel for Derek because I do think he he's the kind of guy can be um, – he's a classic example of fool's goal when I say professional. Sometimes you don't take things just because of money and that. I, you know, you do what Steve Kerr did. Steve Kerr looked at that. He, he didn't fall for the fool's goal. But because he, Steve understood because he had been a general manager – what it took to be a manager, he probably in a conversation with Phil already knew Phil was going to struggle as a general manager. The signs uh-huh. should have been there when Steve Kerr didn't take the job because if you know Steve Kerr, in some people's mind, he didn't really fail as a as a as a general manager in Phoenix. Right. So there was something in that conversation with Phil that told him it wasn't going to be right based on his own experience as a small manager, and he understood what that failure was all about. So when he went to Gold State, that should have been a sign to folks. It should have been a sign to fish like, maybe I need to play one more year with OK City. You know, 
to to do it. And that part, and, and and when you have an ego like that, sometimes you can't get out of your own way. His thing was right. in bringing the manager in to be a to coach the first two years to change the culture, and then maybe bring Fish in either as a top assistant, as a coach in red, you know, waiting, but have in coach those first two seasons to really get Carmelo in the right mindset. So yeah, there's so much that's wrong with this, and it just is a continuation of the Dolan era as the owner of the Knicks. I mean, it, it, it's like Willis Reed is rolling over in his grave. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I didn't even know he was dead. About this. Yeah, I don't dead. think he is dead. Well, right, he died. Shoot. And I just said that. I just said that yeah, in a way. Cause he, he might be throwing a drink at the TV, but shoot. <laughs> You, you know, they all—all all these people—are are just falling apart with this. So, you know, so New York gets everything. I don't feel too bad for them, but you know, it's a long ways from the Pat Riley days. Yeah. So, this next one I'm talking about is actually an interesting one because this is the one guy that people thought was dead, but then just got renewed by making a move, and he was smart about his move. The saw to the Bulls. Bill, how do you feel? Like, I love him on my fantasy team. And um, quit sending – everybody trying to send me trade. And we won't talk about Royster, man. Royster, hey, yeah, that's Royster, Royster, man. Royster, a trade, a trade uh, for a Gasol. I'm like, I can't even respond to your trades anymore. But but <laughs> the talk for the Bulls has been an interesting thing. How do you evaluate that move, even given everything that's been happening in Chicago? I, I think Gasol going to the Bulls was the second best and the second most important um, off-season move in the NBA be, behind LeBron going to Cleveland. I think even Gas, Gasol going to the Bulls exceeds uh, Kevin Love going to Cleveland. Um, Gasol has given the Bulls, um, theoretically, he's given the Bulls um, an option where they can dump the ball down in the post uh, during those tough playoff series uh, fourth quarter possessions. Um, the struggle has been <laughs> uh, Noah. You know, Noah's given them seven points and nine rebounds a night. He missed half the games in the season. Um, however, the last couple nights he showed up. Um, you know, I I think so. To answer your question, I think. Gasol going to the Bulls was a great move. But taking even a deeper look into the Bulls, I think Derrick Rose, and I'll give my dog of the week, is Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose yesterday shot 11 for 33 from the field for 30 points. Um, He had the game-winning assist, which was his first assist of the game, and prior to getting that first and only assist, He had 11 turnovers. Um, But the Bulls found a way to beat the best team record-wise in the NBA, the Golden State Warriors. Um, I think the Bulls have enough around them, um, even with Derrick Rose not at an MVP level, um, I think Derrick Rose is going to improve to get back to being an all-star type level by the end of the season. Jimmy Butler has improved. Um, but to me, the big question is, is it's the same reason why Allen Iverson had a hard time winning the championship. It's it's tough to shoot 33% when you shoot three 33 times, uh, and that's the best offensive um, 
process that you all have. <laughs> but given that Gasol is there, I think they have the ability to win these this year. I don't think they will, but I think they they certainly have enough talent to do it. And, and, and one of the things I used to say when Derek first came on board, I said we will know that he's arrived when he can score 18 to 20 points efficiently and still help his team to win because he's that kind of athlete. And I believe he's a smart player like that where he uses his athleticism to create openings for other players and to control the game. And, and you know, obviously I think his injuries have hurt that part of the process, but I felt like he was that, he had that kind of commitment to his game that he could evolve in a way that I even seen John Wall he has evolved uh, recently in terms of how he's become more efficient in his game and creating opportunities for others. And that statistic you talked about tells me this is somebody who's searching for his game and trying, really trying to make his mark on his team and to demonstrate that he's there to battle rather than really kind of surveying around him and figuring out how to, how to leverage his skills to create opportunities for others. And I think when he does that, then they're going to be better because they got some guys who can score. But that means he's got to set up. He's got to let he's got a lot of Butler to become the Butler he's been coming, and he might be a guy that has to start playing some lead dog in some areas, and allow Gasol to have stretches where he's dominating, and then pick his moments to go. I mean, I think that's what they're going to need to do offensively. But that's also um, the weakness of Thibodeau in the sense that he didn't do what Doc did. So Doc ran the, the offense and then brought him to run the defense. He needs to do what Doc did. He needs to run the defense and bring somebody in to be his text winners. And I, I think he's too much of a controlling personality to allow for somebody to have that much dominant influence on 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 the team from an offensive standpoint. And it, and it speaks to their lack of continuity. So, Hank, man, Gasol. You know what? I, I love the I love the move. You know, I think I think uh, Paul Gasol is probably one of the most underrated players in the NBA, only because you know he plays. You know, they, he he helped uh, the Lakers win, and the Lakers didn't win anymore <laughs> after Paul Gasol left. You know, and I think it, it really works really well for the Bulls. Um, I think he complements well that front line. My concern with the Chicago Bulls is just the, is the aforementioned Derrick Rose. See, Derrick Rose to me. You know he he can he can be a blessing he can be a curse, and and that's the one thing you got to watch about this team because as you talked about the other night, you know t- tonight about you know his, his performance and yet they still win. Derrick Rose can can cost you in a lot of ways in the playoffs and it's like he can save you, you know and because so much of that offense ran through him and runs through him, and you know his his knees are older than mine. And so my concern with that team is that, you know, going forward, how much they they need to distribute a little bit better with him to try to save him. Now, he's one player I can see giving some nights off so he's ready for the playoffs. But uh, I love the Casal move. I think think it makes um, Chicago very formidable. You know, I don't think they're going to make it either because I just – I don't trust the health of Derrick Rose. And And I don't think that the team has done enough, really. To really address that pro- to address that issue, even after his second knee injury, I don't think they did enough to address it. So, you know, it, they they're doing good now. I like the Gasol move, but you know, I, it, again, it, it remains to be seen what happens with the Bulls. Yeah, I, I think I mean we hit on this is one that's um, I think that they're trying to do. They had other things that affected that had nothing to do with the trade, 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? In a way that mm-hmm. the trade has worked out the way it's worked out, particularly for Gasol. But I think the Bulls have had so many other pieces that have nothing to do with the trade that can sometimes affect what's happening with them um, as well. Right. We, we 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 mentioned this early on, and, and Hank, while you're rolling, I'm gonna keep feeding you like Benny. <laughs> so I just talked about Steve Kerr, and <laughs> so we were talking about him going to Golden State, but obviously he was supposed to go to New York. He 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 got on a plane somewhere in Cleveland, probably got off the plane and decided to get on another plane and go back to the Bay Area. Um, and he landed in Golden State. I mean. They are obviously a better team, and he gives a lot of credit. I think Steve Kerr, even because sometimes it's hard when the the divorce of the previous coach is so public, and there's a lot of animosity, and you know you got to come into this very politicized kind of organizational environment and try to be new and show your team guy. But he, even in that, gave love to his boy, you know, Mark Jackson. Right? He always gives love, but but you can tell there's some things about that team and the way they play that have his stamp on it. Um, that have been interesting. What do you think about Kerr um, as in his role at Golden State? I think Kerr has done an excellent job. But Kerr is a very smart basketball man, okay? Kerr is a very smart basketball player. Very, very, very competitive. He played on championship teams with, with, with one of the best. You know, I hate to say it, but he did with Michael Jordan. And and, and he's done very well outside of his playing and, and his front office experience. And so I think he's done really well. And I think what you see is there's something to be said. There is something to be said about the championship locker room, okay? Um, and there's something to be said about getting in the NBA, really, uh, with coaches. It's really about managing a lot of personalities. It's about trying to get a oneness and a mindset, you you know, and, and trying to get the uh, uh, very talented players to go in one direction. Now, you know, I don't think Mark Jackson did a terrible job, but then again, Mark Jackson, uh, you know, he, he talked a good game. But then again, you've got to be able to do some things behind the scene to, to get your team going in that direction. You see that with Steve Kerr. And again, you know, the record speaks for itself. You know, they got one of the best records in the NBA. Again, I qualify that by saying you ain't saying much, but still, they're they're playing good, exciting basketball, and they're playing his brand of basketball. You know, he was a three-point specialist, so it shouldn't be no surprise to anybody. You know, uh, that that's where they're getting the rest of their, uh, their their majority of their offense. I will say this. I will say this that you know you you don't have to be you know Stevie Wonder could see that the Knicks was not going to be a good basketball <laughs> team. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you. That uh, that Steve Kerr, you know, you know, he got on the plane probably out of loyalty, but did not see or probably did not hear where there was a a clear direction to build the Knicks into a championship team because now you got somebody again, not to belabor the point, that has never done it from an executive level, only from a coaching level, you know, where the players was fed to him. So um, I think it's a good move, uh, and and again. The proof is in the pudding. We're at the halfway point of the season. We'll see how how this pans out for Golden State going the rest of the season. But I, but but I think right now, if I was a a Warriors fan, I'd be very pleased. Yeah, I, I think they got a, a, a good deal there. Um, Phil, how, how are you looking at that? Ooh. I Steve Kerr has clearly done a good job, but I'm aware of my bias. Um, 
I'm still very bitter that Mark Jackson got fired after winning 23 games, followed by a 47-game uh, a win season and a 51-win season with a young team. I, you know, so I digress. Well, you know, as Chris Rock said, you know, uh, we have truly moved when he said when uh, when the average black coach who's never done anything can still get get hired in the way we see other coaches, and that to me is still better because one of the things about it is one of the criticisms was um, the way in which he was, um, you know, his 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 uh, approach and his intensity and some of those pushes in the organization, and that's what all great coaches do. And so, and, and, and somehow it got, you know, evaluating his situation in ways in which we uh, give a lot of other people um, freedoms uh, in organizations, particularly when they win. You know, we let, we let um, you know, Belichick has always been Belichick, and we let a lot of that craziness go, even before he was winning Super Bowls. And, you know, Popovich can be Popovich, but, you know, Jackson can't be Jackson, even when he won a 50 games for you. At a time when you weren't putting anybody see. So I understand that. But having said that, what I appreciate Kerr is is always often it's very hard to step into that dynamic because he didn't create it. And that's why I'm not hating on him. But what I do respect about him is that he understood that dynamic enough to give him credit. And that's going to help him um, as he starts to bounce and get another job. And to be able to do that, and that's very difficult to do because in some ways you, you, you kind of push him back against the people who just hired you. But for him to just keep saying that in public spaces, I think, is very important. Mm-hmm. So to stay on the West Coast, Lillard gets snubbed by uh, Team USA. That's almost like, and, and, and Hank, you and I know this from a personal story. That's almost like when G. Rice got snubbed by, for, uh, on the Olympic team. You remember that? And he came yeah. home. Yeah. You know, and everybody and their mother was like, what happened? And we couldn't. Glenn couldn't even explain it. They had they had Glenn Garden uh, centers. <laughs> yeah, one of the yeah. most prolific shooters in the country. Balling uh, uh, against Ewing, mm-hmm. <laughs> David Rob. But Miller, what's going on here, man? How come he doesn't get the kind of respect he deserves? Phil, hit me. I know you watch this guy. What's going on, man? I think it speaks to the strength of the point guard position in the NBA. You you have ten guys, I believe, ten guys that are legitimate all-stars in the West at the point guard position. And unfortunately, because of this, you have a guy like Damian Lillard who was playing, you know, if he was playing 10, 12 years ago, he may be, you know, one of the best point guards playing in the league. So it's that's the only way I can explain it because, um, you know, I mean, you have Lillard, but who are you going to downgrade? Are you going to downgrade? You know, just looking at this, um, you know, at this team, Team USA last year, you know, you had Kyrie Irving, you had a Derrick Rose who, Derrick Rose, Thibodeau. I think I'm over Thibodeau, Thibodeau right now. I agree, but in terms of the – the the Team USA team this this past summer, I can see Thibodeau saying, "Listen, uh, Coach K, I'm I'm happy to commit half my summer 
Um, but but I need Derek on this team um, to really get him up to speed because I just can't afford to have him getting up to speed the first 25 games of the season. Uh, so, but Westbrook, um, Steph Curry, there were a lot of good point guards, man, that played with Team USA this past summer. And um, unfortunately, Willard just, just drew the, the short straw. But I think he's come back with a vengeance this year, man. And, you know, I think he'll make the all-star team. And he's uh, he's certainly increasing his profile. So even, so even though we don't have him here, I'm going to take a famous uh, excerpt from our partner who wasn't here. Um, Villanova's on my list of don't trust them teams. Um, Duke is always – Duke has a permanent spot on my <laughs> don't trust them list. That's right. <laughs> They're never they're never gonna be, get a reprieve, um, just because I'm never trusting them again. Um, I tried that a couple years ago; it did not work out. Um, other teams that are on my don't trust them list, at least for this year's tournament, um, Cincinnati, don't trust them. Um, I don't know about you guys; those are some teams that I'm staying away from um, on my brackets. So I'll tell you right now, Duke is officially on Lillard's don't trust him list. When you talk to NCAA basketball, Coach K getting no love. <laughs> he's like he's he's with Marcus when he fills out his brackets this year. Um but he's doing hairdos right now, so I'm all in uh, uh on him right now. Well, we're gonna take a quick kind of heat check before we start to transition into some of our uh, dog of the week and some of the other stuff. The heat check is like we just have a quick question. We're gonna hit with some of the fellas uh, to because they've been hot all night. And if all y'all know about the heat check, you know you come down and you hit like four in a row. I used to listen to Hank all the time. I was a youngin. Hit like four in a row. <laughs> what up to the old cat? And then I I wanted to check to see if I still was good for five. And a lot of times I was good for five. I remember doing that against uh, uh, Roy Tarkley at CCIB. Will I be listening? Uh, I don't know if he passed away. Did it, Roy pass away? Yeah, I didn't want to say that, <laughs> but uh, Roy Tarpley, um and I remember hitting one. I was hitting it on it, and I and I I came down on the fourth trip, and we we did we run him off the gym. I hit one more, and I felt good about it. So this is that heat check because these cats, it's just been feeling good being here. So I'm gonna start with Phil because Phil has been on fire, and uh, I know. He got another three. He might have his heel on the line on this one. So this was from the game changer. You know, we talk about halfway thugs. You know, them cats that uh, are performers, uh, that are, you know, they are going beyond, you know, you know the, the MVP guys. But they're, they're, these are guys that are on the on the brim. So that you know, it's not like the LeBrons and some of these kind of people. But these are guys who are good teams that should be on people's radar for MVP. You know, they're not the ones you normally go say. So you're going to say Steph Curry or you're going to say Harden. But who's a guy that should be on that radar who's not getting a lot of love for the MVP that you think should be getting some getting some love as, as a halfway thug? Well, I'll tell you what, two guys come to mind, um, and their teams are currently leading their divisions. The first team is the Memphis Grizzlies, and Mark saw the Grizzlies are 32 or 33 and 12, and headed into tonight's action. Um, 
when Marcus Saw got the Defensive Player of the Year last year, I I like many people were shaking my head because I felt like LeBron James should have been the Defensive Player of the Year. But right now, Gasol's averaging nineteen and eight. Um, he's giving you four assists and two blocks a night, and um, he's just playing really, really solid. I I would put him right now in the top five in the All Star or I'm sorry, the MVP race right now, just mostly because of what his team is doing. Um, a guy that I would legitimately put into the MVP discussion is Kyle Lowry, um, the point guard for the Toronto Raptors. Right now they're 31-15, and 15 and <laughs> they're winning the Atlantic Division, but actually they could be nine games under 500, and they could still be winning – uh, leading the Atlantic <laughs> division right now. Uh, Brooklyn, the second-place team in that division, is 18-27. and 27. Um, So, but Kyle Lowry is really having a breakout season. Um, <laughs> Hank and I were talking about this, you know, off the air, but one of the biggest stats for him is that he's played every game. He's played every game this year, and – you know, you look at some of the stars, clearly they take nights off. I'm not talking about nights where they just don't give 100%. I mean, these cats just don't dress. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> Kyle, Kyle Lowry has showed up every day this year. Uh, he's an average of 20 points. He's giving you five rebounds, seven assists. Um, and, you know, he, he, he's got a 3-1 turnover, turnover uh, assist-to-turnover ratio which, you know, we talk about these top point guards in the league, but um, we get real quiet when we get to their assist-to-turnover ratio. Three-to-one is very, very impressive. Um, Kyle Lowry as well has has stepped up his game when some of his um, co-stars have got hurt. DeRozan has has missed 25 games this year. Um, They've had a lot of inconsistencies at at other positions. Uh, So I think Kyle Lowry, in my opinion – I would put him in the MVP conversation right behind um, LeBron James, Steph Curry, and James Harden. See, that is a heat check. I mean, he, you know, Phil T hit the shot, and then he did the the uh, 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 Reggie Miller, Michael Jackson, Phil move dance when he hit the three. That's what he did. You spun around there and then fell in the first row and looked at Spike Lee. That's what we're talking about. You know, I look at Spike Lee and when he was in the garden, when he wanted to put, he put it, he, he, he put the, the hand around the neck. That's what Phil T just did to all y'all out there. That's what we're talking about with the heat This thorough, this thorough, and game winning. We're going to check with Thank Hank you. over here. We're going <laughs> to check with Hank over here. Hey, Rod. We can't, we can't we can't have Hank on here without a little bit of inside the park and some baseball. What is going on? Why is he even talking about getting a bonus? What he arguing about? Why he just he want to meet with the Yankees? Why he just come back with a mask and a and a, and a wig or something on and just be quiet? What's going on with A Rod, man? Help us. Well, 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 well. Take me out to the ball game. Here's what's going on with Ryan. Right, let me tell you something, okay? This dude needs to come on over here to Ann Arbor, go over to the psychological ward, and get him some sort of uh, bipolar medication because this cat is delusional, 
okay? He's absolutely delusional. You know, he, he, he thinks when he looks in the mirror, he does not even see A-Rod. He doesn't even see Alex Rodriguez. He no longer knows who that is, okay? This man fails to realize that he is still suspended by the Major League Baseball. He is not the, the Yankees are, have no obligation to talk to him. He's talking about that he wants to have a bonus and all these great things. And, and, and the sixth thing about it is is that he's dirtier than last week's garbage. And then, but yet but he wants, <laughs> what he wants to do is come in here and tell the Yankees and demand that he plays third base and that he do all his things like he himself took a sabbatical. Now let me tell you something about this Alex Rodriguez character, all right? This cat, I mean, he's a piece of work. He's a piece of work. First of all, okay, again, he, he he's dirtier, he, he's nasty, okay, he's filthy. But but I'm going to tell you how low down he is, okay? I'm going to tell you how low down he is. This is a brother, he got caught, okay? He got caught. Never said he was sorry, never admitted to it, okay? They basically had him on camera with his pants down, but he said that ain't me, wasn't me. All of a sudden he turns into Shaggy now. All right. Now, instead of him just going and taking his suspension, what he has to do is, I'm going to tell you why he finally took the suspension. All right. This guy, he's he, he a piece of work. So he gets suspended, okay, but he comes back. He, he's going he's gonna to file suit. He's coming back. So then he comes back, all right, because he, he appeals his suspension. All right. But now this brother, he don't he cares about nobody but Alex Rodriguez. Because what he did was, not only was he going to try to sue Major League Baseball, he going to try to sue uh, the, the Players Union. Now, what fool going to sue the Players Union? Who going to defend you? Okay? I mean, when you start doing like that, God starts turning his back and starts scratching his chin. I don't know if I want to be bothered with this one. But, see, here's another part that he don't understand that, that's a real conundrum for the New York Yankees. See, the Yankees don't want him back. Major League Baseball don't want him back because, see, this brother going to come back, and if he hits seven more home runs, he passes Willie Mays. Now, see, baseball don't want that stain. Baseball is already bad enough that you've got a known steroid user in uh, Barry Bonds that, 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 that uh, fractures, just destroys Hank Aaron's uh, home run record. And that was such a beautiful moment for baseball and baseball fans that was around that remember when he broke Babe Ruth's record. But now that was tainted when, when when Barry Bonds did it, okay, a known steroid user, okay. Barry Bonds' head is bigger than the back of my truck, and I got an Escalade. But then the other part of this, you look at Alex Rodriguez, now other record that's tainted. It could be Willie Mays, the Say Hey Kid. The Say Hey Kid, okay, is going to get his record broken by the No Way Kid. That's not cool. Baseball can't have that. And the Yankees definitely don't want that, that. You know the Yankees do not want Alex Rodriguez back. And when he hits that home run and be forced to have to celebrate this cheater. So this is what's going on with him. He knows where he's at, okay? He, he, he's delusional, but, but, but he's the smartest delusional person you've ever seen. He knows where his place is in baseball. He, he, and he's going to uh, stick it to baseball any way he can. And baseball is up against it because they wanted to ban him for life, and they didn't do it. That's what's up with Alex Rodriguez. Woo! <laughs> I 
I just had to give y'all the standing O. You know, we tried this segment. I, I think when Game Changer listens to it, this y'all y'all didn't wanted a heat check. I mean, you I, you gave a heat check like the rifleman. Not only would you hit the shot, but you, you gave you gave the other bench the mean mug. <laughs> <laughs> you you look at the other bench like what? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. This is this is a real sports guy. This is a real sports guys. Uh, we're on realsportsguys.com. You can catch us on our podcast on iTunes. This is good stuff. You on with D Wills, we're on with Phil T and we're on with Hank. This is really good stuff. We are are just loving what we gotta do here. Um we're about to turn the table here, uh, into the NFL stuff. Before we do that we gotta pay some bills and do our dog of the week. Now we're going to get into our Resistance Digital Dog of the Week. Resistance Digital Solutions. Are you tired of running to the boys in blue? Are you done with listening to sales staff trying to upsell you technology that you don't need? We've all been there. So what did the real sports guys do? We contacted Resistance Digital Solutions for all our technology needs. They are not there to meet sales quotas or make profit margins. They simply just want to sell you what you need at a fair price. From iPads to PCs to flat screens, TVs, or intricate home theater systems, they customize every solution based on your needs. Check out their website at www.resistancedigital.com or email them at sales at resistancedigital.com for your custom technology solutions today. All right. That's, uh, it's, we're here with the dog of the week. Phil T, I know you kind of gave us a little bit more, but we're, we're going to hit you with uh, a dog. Give us your dog of the week. My dog of the week is Derrick Rose. He kept at it. 33 shots, but you know this is the way this team needs to win. All right. Hey. We need more dogs. What's your dog of the week, Hank? Well, I got to, you know, I, this being Super Bowl week, I'm going to go a little bit different. So my dog of the week is uh, Marshawn Lynch, and not for the reasons why you might think. Marshawn Lynch, is, uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday this week, Marshawn Lynch, uh, for those of you who don't know, don't like to talk to the media, okay? Doesn't like to talk to the media. So he came out with a statement during media, media day and basically said, uh, listen, you know, I'm only here so I don't get fined. Okay, and if anybody asks me a question, I'm going to answer it that way. And Marshawn Lynch went on and said, for every question, he said, I'm only here so I don't get fined. He said it 29 times, 29 times. He's probably still going to get fined because he had on a baseball cap that was not sanctioned by the NFL, but that's another story. But the reason why he's my dog of the week is because for one day in the last two weeks, Marshawn Lynch deflected from Deflate Gate, and for that alone, he's my dog of the week. Wow, that's good stuff. Yes, <laughs> Marshawn, who will be, we'll talk a little bit about it. I guess it's my turn. We need more dogs. Well, this is a special dog of the week for me, and this goes to my niece, Janelle Wilson, who is a, a freshman basketball player. Uh, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, on uh, McGarrett, um, uh high school team. Uh, they're one of the top uh, girls' high school teams in the state of Georgia. 
be the freshman, and she had uh, 18 points and 13 rebounds as a two-guard point guard as a freshman on the varsity squad. So you are my dog of the week, young lady. Keep doing your thing and uh, make sure you get those grades. You know, we are beyond the game of student-athletes. So love you. So <laughs> we're about to move in. Um, we're going to set the table for this football thing. So we're going to take a step back, and then we're going to do the crescendo ending up with the Super Bowl, right? So we're going to start with the hottest season. So college football ended, right? And we had this playoff system. And it had a lot of energy. It's been very successful, and a lot of people have been talking about it. But we haven't had a chance to chop it up that much here on our show as a way we begin to kind of work our way um, uh up to this uh, kind of Super Bowl, but that space of football. So let's talk about the, about the, the, the college football, the Final Four, and how that works, um, and where you think that's going. Uh, Hank, maybe let's just start with you and your, your kind of your, your, your thoughts on that uh, and, and where you think it's going. You know what? I enjoy the uh, Final Four, the, 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 the playoffs. I didn't necessarily care for the teams that was playing in it, but I thought that it was a, it was a step in the right direction. Um, I think that the there's already been some changes with it in that the Big 12 has now decided to have a championship game, um, and that was a positive. You know, I don't when, – when you look at when it's all said and done, I think you had the right teams in there. Uh, I watched both of those games, and I watched the national championship game. I don't know how many years that during the bowl season – I just would not watch certain games. Okay, I wasn't interested. And it was just really fun to really um, enjoy that part. I think that as much as it pains me to say, I think Ohio State showed they were the best team in the nation. They beat two top teams, and that's the way it's supposed to be. I'm not in favor myself of it expanding any further. I think that the way they have it works out just fine. It should, it, I think that what you will ho- hopefully what you'll see going down the road is these conference conferences try to you know build up their schedules a little bit more so they can get there you know now that they know they got more than one spot so that they can make it a much stronger um, uh, bracket. But I, I'm in favor of the Final Four. I thought that worked out well. I enjoyed it. And I, I agree with you. I think with the Big Twelve having a championship game. And frankly, that was their fault. You know, they could have just right. awarded it to a team, a team that won the head-to-head. So that was something that was their fault. But, um, you know, I, I would I would say that um, um, uh, I, I think the four is correct. I think moving to eight, um, I like the idea of how they were changing the rankings all the way through. They made some, I think, some catastrophic kind of, Miscalculations towards the end because I, I thought that they um, they caused a lot of the turmoil by where they put different teams and, and trying to deal with the Baylor TCU issue. But I like the four because the four creates the drama and it still allowed for you to watch these other games. I was still interested in these other games I watched, but then we always knew we had that four at the end of uh, uh, all the games that we were able to watch. Phil, right. your reaction? I thought it was perfect. I thought it was perfect. Um, you all both mentioned a lot of great things. One thing that I'll add is that the way that they announced the rankings every Tuesday, um, 
it gave college football a voice during the season where normally they were losing out to the NFL, um, you know, during the season. And there was a lot of drama. You know, every Tuesday night, um, there's an ESPN special about the rankings, and the committee chairman is out there talking about this is why we went with these four. Um, I thought it was brilliant, and it and it got college football back into the conversation. Like Hank, I have stopped watching a ton of college football. Um, I watch it now because I have a show and I need to be educated on it. Um, but honestly, the first two games that I watched all year um, from just a, hey, let me set aside time to watch these two college football games was the Final Four. And um, especially the championship game as well. I just think it's brilliant. Um, I wouldn't change a thing right now. You know, part of that storyline was the kind of the Jameis Winston Mariota storyline that kind of projects into these kind of NFL quarterbacks. In this process, because what's great about this was a pressure cooker. We can talk a little bit about Ohio State here in a minute, but. What, where do you come down, uh, Hank? I'll go with you on Jameis Winston and Mariota, and where you project them in terms of their professional quarterbacks. And I, I thought I, I thought all year long that Jameis Winston was the better quarterback. I watched Jameis Winston. I watched a lot of Florida State games this year only because those games came down to the wire all the time. What I saw with Jameis Winston was he could make all the throws. He, he's got a professional arm. See, Jameis Winston took a hit because he's a knucklehead off the field, okay? You can't deny the intangibles he has on the football field. And, you know, while um, this year Marcus Mariota was the golden boy, I was never really impressed by what I saw from him. You know, even the games in which they, he was supposed to look very good, uh, he just looked like another very good college football coach, I mean college football quarterback when you compare the two. And, you know, he plays in a gimmick offense. And I, I think that when you look at both of those players, you know, I if, if I had a team and I had to pick one of them too, you know, I would get some counselors in place. But I would take Jameis Winston and, and help him grow up. But as far as pro tools right now, I'm, I would take Winston. I, I, you know, and I'll, I'll comment. I think that's a great observation. Phil T., um, as much as I have really liked watching both these players and I have an opinion, um, I'll take a step back and, you know, I mentioned this on the air last year. I, uh, I lost a bet a while ago, uh, 15 years ago when I said that Achilles Smith would be the best quarterback out of his class, um, over Donovan McNabb, over Dante Culpepper, over Tim Couch, over Kay McNown. Um, and the bet that I lost was that I would never, ever talk about future NFL quarterbacks in any way. Um, so, uh, I passed. Achilles was your Achilles, huh? <laughs> you you, you didn't yeah, be censored I, based on that answer. I could have told you that was a bad move. No, yeah, oh you know. Goodness. Yeah, that was uh, – yeah, and, I mean, I stood up on my soapbox and said that the Cincinnati Bengals have found 
their future NFL quarterback, Achilles Smith. Donovan McNabb will last a couple of years. Tim Couch will last a couple of years. Dante Culpepper may get cut. Those are my words. <laughs> I, I will. I will move on from you. <laughs> Thank you. You might, be, you, you might have a credibility. That, 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 that requires a moment of prayer. It was fifteen years ago. It was fifteen years ago, and uh, I'm I'm still working through it. Still working through it. Oh my! That, that, that's that's what working only had two uniforms when you made that prediction, ain't it? Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, I feel for you. Yeah, you should you should have a, a moment of silence because I'm I want you. winners. <laughs> so this is my evaluation. I, I, I thought about this because I've heard all this talk, and in this why you know I hear people criticizing sometimes Russell Wilson um, because he, they try to put him in this space with the zone read and all that. Russell's always been a quarterback, even coming up in Wisconsin and NC State, and part of what makes you a great quarterback is your ability to be effective in a red zone because you have to make pinpoint decisions. And the difference between these two players is Jameis is very effective in the red zone, doing quarterback things in the red zone, whereas Mariota becomes um, least effective in the red zone as it shrinks, as it depends on him having accuracy. It depends on him using uh, uh, his mechanics to do it. However, if he comes – the one thing I've seen him versus other quarterbacks in the situation, there's some things I see that are quarterback. So if you, you ever watch him, you know, um, there's a motion you do when you try to throw the double move, the hitch move. There's some techniques. I see him – there's some things I see him do that really good quarterbacks do that I love that I can see that tells me he's learning some things. But if, if, if for him to be an effective NFL quarterback, he's got to be able to play in that red zone and be able to make those decisions. And, you know, even against Ohio State, in those places, he struggled as the this, this field got smaller. And that's something that Jameis could play. Jameis throws some, – I heard someone say, you know, Jameis makes um, 15 or so NFL throws per game. Mm-hmm. Mariota might make three. Right. Because the offense requires them – it requires Jameis to make those kinds of – not kind of decisions he has to make at the line with the offense. And so, I, to me, it's not even uh, a question. It is about how comfortable you are with his ability to to adjust to the NFL. And I still think part of his problem is James's problem is social awkwardness. And this is a kid that got in Stanford. He's kind of smart, but he got a lot of limelight, and he got all the stuff that comes with it and his ability. You know, um, I don't know what happened to sexual assault, but I will tell you the, the incidents of the crabs and all that stuff or the lobsters or whatever he was doing, I bet you those were dares that he just took. You know, he doesn't have a if you really if the story ever is told, I bet you somebody dared him to do something and he did it. Yeah. And it was one of those well, he, things he, that you are in college that he just did. And he has a social awkwardness if you listen to him talk that's a little bit different. Now I may be wrong, so since I think he can mature in that way, but from an NFL standpoint he can make all the problems. I agree. Get him some counselors, get him some other stuff. He's not Johnny Football. First of all, he can play quarterback, so he he, got, he don't have to adjust to that part of it. Uh, but you're gonna have to have some mentorship 
in the locker room. And, and the problem is with the way the salary cap works, you don't have as many veterans in the locker room helping these young guys grow up. So right, right. I, I, I really appreciate it. So as we move into the NFL season and work our way up to the Super Bowl, you both of you had a chance to probably watch the NFC and AFC championships and look at the teams. Let's talk about the NFC championship because the AFC championships will bring some other stuff in, and we'll get to that. NFC championship. Now, let me start with my experience. So, I was watching the game in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> so, I'm in the hotel bar waiting, to, uh, just watching the game. And this is Wisconsin. Shuts down. Like, people aren't even serving. They're watching the game. And in this, the last five minutes, no one's serving. People are just watching the TV and they're slowly watching this league go away. The lead is just going away. And they get in overtime, they do the flip, and then Russell throws the incredible two plays, touchdown. And it was silent in there. So the the um they start changing to the uh the AFC championship. Russell was still interviewing and the bartender's going around, cutting all the TV. I'm still watching this interview at my table, and he changes my channel while I'm watching the Russell Wilson. And I basically had to tell him, look, I'm the customer. Turn it back. He's like, I can't handle it. I can't see anymore. Now, the irony is this is a guy who played at Wisconsin. They, you know, they didn't know how to react. You know, this is one of their own. They cheer for it in a Rose or They cheer for it uh, in, uh, in a uh, uh, Rose Bowl games or championship games. And so they they wanted to, to 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 get behind him, but they couldn't. But the, the way that happened was hilarious. I'm sitting there watching, and the cat goes, I can't handle this anymore. And he turns off, I'm a customer. He turns my TV off, or turns my TV to the, to the fire. So the folks had a meltdown. The folks in Wisconsin had a straight-up meltdown. But when y'all were watching it, I'll start with Phil. Wow, it was. Uh, I tell you what, when Green Bay had that sixteen to zero lead, and Seattle was looking horrible, I, I think it was like late, like middle to late in the second quarter before Russell Wilson had his first completed pass. I mean, they were looking really bad. Um, but what I saw was a defense that kept them in there. I saw a very good Green Bay offense um, not playing to their potential. So that one touchdown and those three field goals, if they were to get two touchdowns and two field goals, you know, and all of a sudden they're down, you know, 21-0, 20-0, that's a whole different ball game, you know, when there's, you know, going into the locker room. So I saw a tough Seattle team, man. You see cats with dislocated elbows and shoulders and out there grinding it out. And and you saw Russell Wilson. <laughs> I was listening to Dan Marino. Uh, he was on the Dan Patrick show earlier today. And they asked him, you know, have you ever thrown more than three interceptions? He's like, yeah, I threw five twice in my career. And it's kind of, you get to a point where you throw three interceptions, it's like you just keep throwing it like whatever. 
because you have three interceptions or five interceptions, it's kind of the same. And that's what you saw with Russell Wilson, man. Those two passes, uh, that 35-yard pass followed by a 35-yard touchdown, those throws are right there. And he does not have a receiving core that will forgive, you know, poor passes. So he had to put that ball right there. So I just saw a team, man, that's built like a champion, honestly. Um, Tough loss for Green Bay. A lot of my friends are Green Bay Packer fans. And that's just a loss that I think they'll never forget because they were so, so close. Um, But Seattle, I mean, I don't think anybody can beat Seattle at this point. Um, they they just stuck around. They just stuck around and made it happen. And, and, and you hit it. Nobody mourns like Green Bay fans. I mean, people think they've seen mourning. You have not seen lose. People react to losing until you've been in Wisconsin when Green Bay loses like this. It, it just, I mean, Phil, you know this. It's it, it, nothing to compare to it. I mean, maybe Alabama. But it's nothing. I mean, when they lose, it's like people want to shut everything down. They don't want to talk to you. <laughs> just like, just like, hello. I do no, 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 none of that. You know, a couple dogs got kicked. You know, uh, you know, they they're doing some things there. Green Bay fans, they took it high. Woo! And I was right in the middle of it. Hank, I know you well, watching. Oh, I'm insulted because you grew up in Ann Arbor and you know what it's like around here when Michigan lose. It's like your we, we expected we expected that with Bo. What the last look at, How you look, at, look at, but you know what? They brought burned down Washington County this year. Okay, <laughs> they got rid of everybody. Okay, and somebody was going to get somebody. They had to fire these people before somebody got murdered. It was terrible. Okay, I'm, so you know you're talking about Green Bay fans. You grew up around here. You know how nuts is around here. The, the whole county is in mourning, and that's just after a loss to Purdue. So you know what's happening. But to get back to the game, you know that. You just, that's, but, that's, um, fair. that's fair. That's fair. Come on now. Shoot, look, look here. We ain't stopped partying since the press conference. So y'all to tell you all you need to know right now. But anyway, getting back to the game, you know, I think that what I saw was I didn't see Seattle win that game. I saw Green Bay lose it. Green Bay and Mike McCarthy played not to lose at the end of that game. That game was go to a championship where I saw Seattle just not give up and just keep persevering. I mean, it was almost as if as though Green Bay realized they were someplace they weren't supposed to be. And then by the time they came out that funk, it was too late. I mean, they were down, they had fourth and one in the red zone. You've got Lacey, who's running all over everybody. You take a chance. You put this team away on the road. And had I don't think anybody in Green Bay would have kicked and screamed had he done that. But kicking a field goal makes you nervous, especially in the NFL because a two-score lead is never safe. And they could have went up by three scores and put the dagger on them. You've got Aaron Rodgers, who is an MVP candidate. You've got Lacey. They're running the football well. The offense was clicking, and they shut it down. Then you can't get an onside kick. Okay? Then you lose the lead. Then you go down there, and you get you a field goal, and then your defense all of a sudden can't stop anybody. I'm going to tell you, you know, I think it, it was an amazing game to watch. 
It was an amazing game to watch. But any, how many times, and to take nothing away from the game that Seattle played, but for all the reasons what Phil mentioned, you had guys with dislocated elbows. You had guys that was injured. You had a quarterback that threw three interceptions, three-point interceptions. You've got to take that team and put them away. That's why the AFC championship game was not a game, because those same mistakes, you know, cost Indianapolis and the game was over. So, you know, I thought it was a, a very exciting game, entertaining game to watch. But, again, you know, I think that Green Bay lost it more than Seattle won it. So, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, uh, so, I guess the next question is, who do you like in the Super Bowl? Do you like, uh, do you like New England? Or do you like Seattle? I like I like New England, and I like New England for this reason alone. I, I believe that in the last two Super Bowls that the New England Patriots played in, they uh, their their defense let them down down the stretch, and especially their secondary. And I think they've addressed that with, with especially with Darrell Revis as one of your corners. And the question is, while I don't expect Russell Wilson to have the same type of game he had against Green Bay, and while I do think Marshawn Lynch is going to be able to find some running room, I also believe that LeGarrette Blunt's going to be able to find some running room. And I think that Tom Brady, I think that I think they sniffed that history right now. You know, I think it's going to be a close game. I don't think it's going to be anything what we like what we saw last year because I think Peyton Manning is a choke artist anyway. But I think that, um, you know, I, I, I got to go with, with, with uh, my amazing blue brethren. I got to go with Tom Brady, and I got to go with, uh, with the Pats. You know, the Patriots have burned me. Um, <laughs> as we talk about our, uh, our our Super Bowl picks here, Hank went with the Patriots. Um New England has burned me. The last two times they were in the Super Bowl, I believe both times they were playing against the Giants. Right. I, again, stood on my soapbox and felt that there was no way the Patriots could lose. Um, And, you know, I get caught up in giving Belichick two weeks and this, this, and that. Uh, I'm not making that mistake this year. I'm going with Seattle. There's just a certain dog in Seattle where they can win ugly, they can win pretty, they can win um, by just rushing four and still getting to the quarterback. They can do a lot of things. And I don't believe in the running game for the New England. New England has certainly shown that they could run the football. But I just have a hard time thinking that a guy – who the Steelers said peace to, um, that he can be depended on to really lead that running game. Um, I could be wrong. You know, they said O.J. Anderson couldn't do it. Um, And Parcells showed that O.J. Anderson had what, you know, had what he needed to have uh, when they won that NFL championship in 1990. So um, I just – I believe more in Seattle. I I believe in that defense. 
I think Tom Brady has limited offensive weapons um, outside of Gronkowski. Uh, I don't believe in Shane Marine. I don't believe in their running game. I don't believe in the inconsistencies of their receivers. Um, you know, Edelman right now is their best receiver. And Amendola has been a bust. Um, you know, the kid from the Panthers, um, I don't believe in him. I, I just don't believe in their weapons outside of Brady and Gronkowski, and I think that Seattle can do enough to shut down Gronkowski. Um, so I'm going to go with Seattle in a very close game that goes to the last possession or two. All right, I'll jump back in here. I'm going to, you know, I love what I was, I was hearing with you guys. I said, the reason why I'm going with Seattle, I thought about this long and hard because you can easily get caught up in the Belichick-Brady uh, thing. I think, Bill, you hit this uh, as well. And <clears throat> it doesn't work with a team who doesn't win with gimmicks. So defensively, Seattle just lines up. So all those little things that they run, like uh, the, you know, um, having a um, skilled player um, covered so they're ineligible, it doesn't matter with Seattle because they're balanced on both sides, right? They're not going to be running around. They're going to line up, let you line up and do what you do. You can run around and dance like you want to do, but when the ball snaps, they're going to kick you in the chest. So that is a problem when a team – is not going to flinch because their defensive scheme is we'll just line up and we'll just count. Because <laughs> our four is be- our front four is better than your line, and we don't have to be a gimmick. We just get to the football. So that's a problem for a team like uh, New England, who they don't have a deep threat, someone who can stretch the field and create like an, an accordion kind of space for Tom Brady to manipulate because there's nobody they fear going deep. So now you're left with Gronk. Well, everybody's playing this whole thing about, well, when Gates and some of these other people went against Seattle, they gassed them. Well, one of the things is that championship teams who are going for stuff like this, Seattle was going through this kind of process where, you know, they had to get past being Hollywood for a while. You know, they, they had to kick a player and trade a player out. They had to do some shakeup. And it, but when they settled in and got – a lot of times when you get closer to the end of the season and you start to really get focused – all that other stuff that was working earlier is not going to work now. And the one, two things they got is they have two safeties who don't play. And they got some linebackers who can run. And that allows them to do a lot of different things with Gronk. And one of the things they'll do with Gronk that a lot of teams haven't done is they'll put hands on them. You know, I I played defense. I played on some great defenses in high school and all the way up. And one of the things they always talked about is never let people get a free release. That's the one thing that Belichick does a really good job. If you ever watch a great Belichick defense, even back to when he was with the Giants, he's one of the few coaches that coach never letting people get a free release. Then he's able to disrupt the time. I don't understand people do it, but the other person that coaches somewhat like that is P. Carroll, <laughs> the fundamentals. And so I, I believe that defensively they can hold them in check. And I think that Russell Wilson will find a way to make plays. I think New England's defense is much improved. I think um, uh, Belichick had enough of hearing people talk about how strong how defense was a weak link. That was a point of pride. If you look at the drafts he's done, and I've commented on the successful drafts he's made to try to beat that defense up. 
But I don't think it's enough right now to stop what I think Russell might. Russell got through his scare. Now he's back, and I think he's going to have an even better game in, with the defense. So I, I think it's going to be close. But I think Seattle uh, gets it, and I think Marshawn gets in the end zone. As long as he doesn't do anything crazy when he gets there, he's going to be all right. Don't talk to the media, but don't grab stuff. And he'll be fine. But Marshawn's going to have a, a, a big game uh, going down the stretch. I don't know if you had a chance to talk about this a little bit. We didn't push into it. I, I might jump back into it if you had, because I didn't get a chance to comment on it. Was this whole concept around gamesmanship, right? So they spent some time, and, and we'll, we'll get into like back to like some X Factor stuff. But I, I want to, because one of the things I think is really clean about what I think Belichick would do, and if they had a chance to win, is that. Belichick's understanding of gamesmanship is why he gets the advantage. And I want to ask y'all, is there such thing as gamesmanship? Like, because when we, when we grew up playing sports, and baseball did this a lot, in a lot of sports, things that are called cheating now were known as gamesmanship back then. It was the little edge you got. Like, it's like being at the line on defense and, and getting close and reading the lips and listening to the play call because the quarterback didn't know enough to, you know, be a little bit more quiet or you read the lips. I mean, there's things that you do that are gamesmanship that people now call cheating. Why did we jump away from what's gamesmanship, gamesmanship? Hank, can you get that? You yeah. No, I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's right now you got too many hands in the pot. you got you got media types and, and sources that it's got to make a story out of everything. Okay, the fact that they talked about a damn inflate, deflated football for ten week for ten days was ridiculous. <laughs> okay, when you think about it, and just think about it, you anytime you, you talk about pine tar in baseball, okay, you talk about reading signs. Okay, in baseball, you talk about trying to read the signs from the catcher. How is, how is that? All of that is that is that uh, cheating now? I don't get it. I'm with you, Devon. It drives me crazy. Because those are just little things. You're trying to find out what your opponent is doing. You're trying to find out, get any little edge that you can. All right? There are unwritten rules of the game, if you will. Okay? Then if you've got to go and make a rule about it because everybody's doing it and they're getting an unfair advantage, that's one thing. But for you to sit there and all of a sudden what's changed, what's changed is some, some, somebody takes it and they run with it. And all of a sudden you've got people being suspended. I, I want to go back another play. Okay, uh, when Adamica Sue stepped on uh, Aaron Rodgers, you played football, mm-hmm. okay? And you played who? How many times have you played in the paint when the man tries to get through you, you grab his shorts, you know? Yeah. Or, or, or you try to get that little extra push. That's part of the game. All right, nowadays they've they, they, they wussified so much of this sport that now everybody got to be suspended. We all got to play a lot nice, and it's the wussification of, of, of these sports, and it drives me crazy. I don't think it's cheating. You know, it used to be said, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Okay? But it's all about trying to play with that dog in you. And now all of a sudden, because everybody's eyes is on it, now everybody wants to be so doggone outraged. I'm outraged at the outrage. Bill <laughs> T, I mean, you play multiple sports, man. You know, I've been on court a couple of times with you. You'll pull up somebody's shorts or you might look over there and try to get a signal somebody. I mean, 
Is there such thing as gamesmanship? I don't hear anybody on sports radio talking about that. Like, it's almost like they all forgot. Like, is there such thing as gamesmanship anymore? It's, uh, you know, if Twitter and the Internet and, you know, all this stuff was around, there'd be a whole lot more stories of this kind of stuff that was going on in the 50s mm-hmm. and 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where sometimes uh, information is not always our friend. Right. And, you know, we have two weeks in between the conference championships and the Super Bowl, and some of this foolishness just is is going to live because there's not a lot else to talk about. You know, I I played quarterback in high school, and as a high school quarterback, you know, the coach would give me 12 to 15 balls in the summer and say, hey, these will be our game balls. You know, we when we have passing camp, it's your job to bring these balls. Uh, you know, each week before the game, you pick the five or six balls you want to use. Um, you know, if indeed – if indeed that somebody from New England um, on the staff took air of the balls, um, it's because Brady pretty much said, hey, you know, I like the way this ball feels. Make them all like this. Now, if Brady knew that it was something illegal to that or cheating, who knows? But um, there's not a quarterback in the league who does not okay which footballs that his team is going to use when they're on the field. Um, so do I think that's a big deal? Not really. Not really. I don't. I don't. I, you know, I, I don't think it made a huge impact in the game. Um, to me, it's a non-story, but given the context of what time it is in terms of the year, it's a, it's a story. I'm glad you're talking. And it just, it suddenly just came up to me, you know, I'm just like, I've been thinking about this a while. I'm like, I've been playing sports for a long time and, Gamer shit was part of it. And even if it happened to you, it was like a gotcha moment like that. That was good. You got, y'all let the air off the ball. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like people said, you cheated. It was like, we should have thought of that. You know, that, that's what, you know, that's what it was. And you don't hear any of that when we talk about these <laughs> That's how you thought about it. Did you, Hank, did you, Phil, did you? You're like, your thought was like, why didn't we think of that? That wasn't what you thought about. You're like, that was pretty slick. That's what you thought about it. Today, it's like it's a big story, and like you're right, it's a non-story. It's like get smarter. Like, and that's part of Belichick is he's always outsmarting you. I think people get mad at you because he's always – and people are like, he's riding the line. Well, all coaches ride the line. He's just better at than they are. And so you know what, he got all the what makes you crazy about it, though, is, you know, you start to hear what the outcome should be. We got to do a full investigation. Somebody needs to be suspended. Somebody needs to not play. I mean, this stuff is stupid to me. I mean, and, and that's taken away from the game. I mean, then you get these other folks who have never even picked up a ball, much less played the game, and they're starting to try to regulate what should go on. You know, that that's, 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 that takes away from this so much. And you're right, it is gamesmanship. You know, and, and it's nothing to talk about. And you would think that some of these ex-athletes would say, you know, shut up, because it's part of the game. You know, and you don't want you don't want to take away from what makes the game really great. And there is a lot of stuff that the average fan don't see that's in, that's on the, in the trenches that is gamesmanship that's not going to go away. And if they did, you wouldn't even have teams to play. 
Well, we, we're getting here towards the end of the show. Um, I want to hit a couple of different things. I think two of the uh, key players um, in this game, one will be Tom Brady on New England side. The other would be Marshawn Lynch. Um, Phil, I'm going to let you take the Marshawn Lynch. Since we got Hank here and you are, um, uh, you know, the Ann Arbor guy, Brady played at Michigan, I'm going to give you the Brady side. But we'll start with Marshawn. You know, when it's all said and done, I mean, I think people agree to the extent that Marshawn is having an effect on Seattle and is, is a heart and soul. But there's been a lot of talk about Marshawn and what happens after the season. And, you know, sometimes this stuff is toxic. Like, if you are the general manager of Seattle, uh, Phil, dust settles, let's say Seattle, our picks are right, Seattle wins, what do you do with Marshawn? Uh, um, I think you resign him. He's, he's he's 28 years old. He'll turn 29 in the off season. Um, but in my opinion, Marshawn Lynch is a young 29 uh, next season, or a young 28 right now. Because if you think about his first couple of years in Buffalo, um, he, he he was not a workhorse. He was not. Um, I don't know what it is about Buffalo and running backs, but as soon as they leave, it seems to be a lot more productive. Um, so his first two or three years in the league, he just didn't get the touches. Um, so I would invest in him because you see what your team can be. And Seattle last year they had to – I mean, they, they, they lost some big pieces from their team last year. For example, Red Bryant you know, one of the best defensive tackles in the league, you know, he, he moved on to go for where the money's at. And they're probably going to lose another guy or two. But I see Mar- Marshawn Lynch as a guy you need to keep. I understand that running backs um, have been severely devalued um, over the last couple of years, but you have a guy that can handle the load. You have a solid running back in Turbin. Um, I would invest in Lynch, give him a two- or three-year deal, pay him, you know, max money in regards to what running backs are getting paid. Don't go further than three years. If Lynch wants more than that, you know, you may have to let him go. But if you can sign up for another two or three years, I would do that. All right. And uh, I think I think you're hitting right on the head on that. I think, um, um, you know, and, and I, I think the, the having to talk to the media is, I think, is overstated. I think uh, I think at some point they should probably have a group of players from each team who have been identified almost like captains who can talk to the media. But if they're, you know, if they're guys or find other ways. But I think besides that, if you just look at the football stuff, you know, he's he can help you. If you win a second Super Bowl, you need to keep him and keep this run going. You know, this is one of the things where you just run the run out. <laughs> Get your deck back ready. But, you know, you know, sign him on and, uh, um, you know, uh, keep keep it keep it moving, um, Brady. Wh- where do you put Brady Hank in terms of all time list? If he gets this win, you know where do you where do you you know we know he's a great, but where do you put him? We got a lot of greats, and sometimes we forget about some of these players. I think that you and I have had a chance, and and Phil have had a chance to watch. I think sometimes people forget how great some of these other players were. And I think people are forgetting how great Montana was. Right, right, um, right. right now, <laughs> I think they, they, I mean people just kind of get going. But, but where do you put Brady in this group uh, of great all time? You know, if he were to figure out how to beat this Seattle team. 
where you where you figure that the New England Patriots as a franchise has gone to the Super Bowl eight times, and Tom Brady's been there six times. Okay, right. that's one thing. Then you look at the fact that uh, if he wins on Sunday, that he'll be uh, one of the only few quarterbacks that's won four Super Bowls with the same team. He's the only quarterback again that's been there six times. I think when you look at him. He's got he he can be considered an all time great quarterback or one of the greatest of all times if he wins the Super Bowl. Okay, there's no question about that. He's an MVP player, um, and you know he the year that when they went 16 and 0, it wasn't his fault they lost that game. So I mm. mean the two Super Bowls they lost with him, their defense failed them, but they were winning. So he he he's got to win this one. He's a good quarterback. He's one of the greats. But for him to be the greatest, to be named the greatest, in my opinion, he's got to win on Sunday. Do you think some of these you know, potential scandals erode some of that, or do you think that's more about Belichick and less about him? I don't. I, I think it's much to do about nothing. You know, I think, again, we, we talked about Ignazium, about how if we've got to talk about something, okay? You talk about a deflated football in a 45-7 to ball game, you've got nothing to talk about. Okay, and it doesn't take nothing away from Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl, you know, uh, displacing um, uh, Drew Bledsoe, and then just taking over that that franchise. Okay, I don't think Tom Brady has had a season where he's lost, uh, where he's uh, won less than ten ball games in his entire career. You know, I'd have to look that up, but I don't. I think even the year they got that he got hurt, they won ten ball games. That's a pretty phenomenal record. Okay, so. Um, with that being said, no, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with him. I think, you know, Belichick will take most more of that because of his personality. It's going to be hard to, you know, upset what the Golden Boy has done at this point in his career. Well, hey, my man, it's been good having you on. Uh, I, I got to get you on one mic here. Pretty soon, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you back. We'll we'll do a one mic segment here pretty quickly because I I think we uh, in, in 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 the next week or so because I think uh, there's a lot to be said. I think you can share about baseball on this stuff. So let let know that I'm gonna do that. Feel free yes, as well, my man. You doing your thing, um, and uh, it feels good to be back here in the new year, back in the style with you, brother. I miss you. Um, it's good that we've been able to do this and. We saw the people who've been listening and following us, and thank you. But my last word, you know, we all grew up with a whole bunch of guys in our team picture, guys who have followed us in our lives and been part of our lives, and it's always difficult when we lose one of those folks. Uh, I want to remember, Hank knows this, uh, one of my childhood friends who passed away uh, a little over a week ago, Todd Miller, who was uh, a yeah. tremendous athlete. Um, in all of them, but a better person, great smile, was always engaging, and to lose the battle of the cancer at a young age of 46 is something that we all should not have to do, but to know that, you know, we have friends in this through these sports and through these experiences over time that we gain friendships that last for a lifetime. That's what we believe, that they will last for a lifetime. We believe that we believe that we will tell lies all the way to our 70s. Right. But when that's interrupted at what we believe is our halftime, that's a difficult thing to, to digest and uh, to not have had a chance to be there to watch his homecoming. Home going. It's, uh, 
at least one of the things I can say that, you know, throughout the show I've been thinking about him and we dedicate this show to him, Todd Miller, his, his, his daughter, his family. Um, you know, it's tough to endure. And uh, all the people in Ann Arbor who were there to support him and his, his family at the homecoming, uh, we're thinking about you here on RSG and because we all know how important it is to have folks like that in our lives. Till next time, take it easy. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.